Oh, there he is. Having a problem here. All right, I think we are live, guys. Uh, it's we're having a problem with Facebook, but we're live on. Uh, is live. Yep, we're good. live on YouTube. Well, welcome everyone. I'm Ed Mullins. Welcome back to To the Point. I have with us uh, Bill Cannon, Pete Panuccio, and Pat Russo. And fortunately for me, we're all retired. Well, they're all retired, Sergeant. So <laughs> this is going to be a real interesting chat tonight. Um, and nothing better when you're able to talk freely, right? Um, so <laughs> what we're going to talk about tonight is the uh, elimination of no-knock warrants. And this all stems from the uh, shooting that occurred back March 13th of 2020 with Breonna Taylor in Kentucky. Uh, most of you probably know, and if you don't, she was a 26-year-old female African-American who uh, was inside an apartment that uh, the police went to with a uh, no-knock warrant looking to apprehend her boyfriend who lived in the apartment. Um, they knocked on the door, uh, got no answer, and they were met with gunfire. Uh, they returned approximately, I think, 30 or 32 shots, and Breonna Taylor, the 26-year-old, was uh, fatally killed. This was the beginning of many protests. It was the beginning of a lot of misinformation about what occurred, and um, you know, the truth of the matter is that the police were there trying to execute a warrant for an individual that was involved in drugs. And we're going to tell you all about him and all about Breonna Taylor. But right now, this is a really hot issue. And Pete, having recently retired and been part of the Detective Bureau for a really long time, um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the process of eliminating no-knock warrants. No, it's, it's complete insanity. And... Um one of the things that, that people don't realize, we do no-knock warrants, mostly because for officer safety, all right? We, we don't nilly-willy pick a location to go take the door. Uh, these are places, people are drug dealers. Sometimes it's the warrant division. Sometimes it's a uh, uh, violent felony looking for, you know, some real hardcore dudes. You don't tip your hand. You don't, you know, hello, it's the police. Would you let us in? Um, it's just... A bad idea, which is catering to the howling masses, and uh, not good, not good at all. This is going to get people hurt. Bill, your thoughts? You part of Detective Bureau for a while. Well, you know, one of the things that I always remember, even from um, my academy days, was the reason you do a no-knock warrant is the three E's: destroy evidence, endanger the police, or to escape. So that's one of the reasons, the three E's, that you you would do a no-knock warrant. And a no-knock warrant is, isn't decided by the police department. It's requested to a judge. And the judge will agree, based on the evidence presented, whether uh, he or she issues the no-knock warrant. That's a good point, Bill, because you know what the media presents, and this is the whole purpose of what we're trying to do, is you know give the police the uh, opportunity to speak. And what the media does is they tell the story that the police went with a no-knock warrant. So it, it makes it sound like the four of us just decided to go kick somebody's door in and make an arrest. When the truth of the matter is that we go through a process and you have to have pretty much to the point of, of, of probable cause to have a judge sign off on that warrant to allow you to go, you know, take that door. Um, Pat, have you been involved with any of the no-knock warrants in your time? Yeah, absolutely. I when I was in the 7-2 precinct as part of the community policing um, pilot project back in the 80s, we uh, our biggest problem, they, they, we were told to go out there and meet with the community and find out what the biggest problem was within the community. And the biggest problem in my area was Sunset Park, the 7-2 precinct, was blocks were being taken over by drug dealers. And uh, apartment buildings were being taken over by drug dealers. And because they were dealing drugs out of the apartment, us being patrol cops and being community policing cops, 
we would meet with the community and they would tell us which apartments, which buildings, and and who the main players were that were dealing the drugs. And at the time, we we were not able to do search warrants. And, and back in the eighties, it was it was kind of taboo for patrol cops to to have anything to do with drugs. People don't know that, but it, but it it was absolutely an unwritten rule that patrol cops stayed away from drugs. And that was all because of uh, the NAP commission. And they thought to keep the patrol cops away from drugs and do your intel reports to narcotics and uh, wait for narcotics to come and uh, deal with the problem. Pat, but you, you bring up a point that the people don't know. And it's a really good point because I've told this story many times myself and, and the four of us were all 80 cops. Uh, you know, embarrassing as it is, but what you just said happened consistently. We would be partners on a job, get a call into a building. It could be a narcotics location. There could be tons of, of Coke or whatever the drug may be. And our job was to leave and fill out an intelligence report, wait for narcotics to come back six weeks later and try to make an arrest. And what we did then is we sent a message to all the people in the community Basically, it appeared that the cops were being paid by the drug dealers to leave them alone. Yeah, I, I can't believe you said that. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 was, that, was, that was how we felt. And, right. and we're, we're community policing cops. We're the model precinct. Right. We're out there, meet with the community, and we lose all credibility. Right. We, lo we lost all credibility. Same thing with gambling, same thing with the public morals, the prostitution. Um, you know, I remember walking into places, and there were hookers all over the place, and we had to leave. Uh, it, it was the way it was, and it was all as a result of fear that yeah. cops would take money because the NAP commission is what occurred back then. And then the pendulum swung the other way. I mean, we've all experienced that, correct? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, well, well I, I'll tell you what I did. I, I, I fought the system. I, uh, I, I couldn't take it. You. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I couldn't take it anymore because, because what, what, what we felt was you, 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 you're building a relationship with the community and the community's telling you, Officer Russo, I, I got to walk past drug dealers and, and, and prostitutes and junkies and, and just derelicts every day that are coming into my building and buying drugs. And you tell me you're going to help me to clean up the problem. And you, you, you're either inept, you're corrupt, or you, or you don't give a shit. You're telling me you care, you care, and you want me to solve you. And 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 I tell you, it was really the most frustrating point in my life. So frustrating that I put in to go to narcotics. So and what you're really saying is that all of us were working under bad policies, right? That were implemented by the administrations, whether it be the political administration or a commissioner's office on down. That they sent us out to do exactly what we're describing. And today, what has really changed? I mean, Pete, you, you're most- No, 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 it's changed. That, but that, that, that's that's why I, I think this is so important that we do it. Because-, because I, 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 I don't question. know if you can- if, if you, if you keep question. It on, yeah. Sure. I'm sorry, Pat, go ahead. If, if, you, if you look on Facebook, NYPD Valley, you're going to see guys that are going out there and taking care of the community right now. Um, Bovac. I wish you could have Bovac on because I, I guarantee he's got great stories. Uh, Lieutenant Bovac in the 71 precinct is uh, executing search warrants every day, and they were all coming from the community. He's a patrol lieutenant that's going out there, responding to community complaints and doing it. And, and if, if we have time, I'd like to explain how that came about, that patrol being allowed to do, because uh, it's an, an interesting story. I don't know if we have time. Maybe we could do a second one. But, but I'd love to explain how patrol is today allowed to do well, search warrants. And, and it, it, came out of the, it came out of the community policing program. It, explain yeah, patrol it. Is doing, Good, patrol Pete. is doing search warrants today, but they're basing it off of the uh, FIO, the field intelligence officers. Yeah, yeah. That, and, um, and, <clears throat> and they come up with good information. My question is to you guys, it's only because we've all been around a long time. All those tens of thousands of intelligence reports, those little slips we filled out. I was in narcotics three years. And guess what? It was so long. That got forwarded to me. The way cases were generated, 
was usually through a phone call to the field control desk of OCCB. They would generate a 61. That 61 would get sent out to the respective command, you know, generated as we say a kite, an investigation would commence. Um, the, but the, the point where I think we were losing the battle here is with the media coverage is that they never explain this in any of their stories, the steps that the, P, the PD has to go through before we execute a search warrant. That is going to a DA. From that DA, you go to a judge. The judge has to endorse it. And he also has to do a second endorsement for a no-knock or after hours. So in the interim, the locations are dexed, so we know we're not hitting the place that somebody else has an investigation. All this stuff was going on, and what used to be a three- or four-page uh, TAC report, you know, uh, a pre-op, you know, this thing is like a, you know, it's like a small book now. All the bases are covered. Everything is done from top to bottom, up into hospital routes, who's doing what, what their assignment is. There's a tremendous amount of work that goes into these warrants. You I don't know, know what they did. Let me just interrupt for one second. You're right. All that stuff happens, but warrants can still get botched uh, when it's not properly vetted. I was on the reinvestigation of the Alberta Sproul case, and that was the woman, a 57-year-old woman. They hit the wrong apartment. They threw in a flashbang. She had a heart attack and died. And when we re-interviewed their CI, who was their witness, he did one of these. He couldn't tell us which door it was. That's bad. Yeah, it's bad news. It happens. Look, that's what I'm saying. It can happen. You can hit the wrong door. You can go to a housing project and no one has a number on their door or a letter. They just don't have it. So unless you put – I used to try to get a Dunkin' Donuts sticker and put it at the bottom left side of the door. uh, So that's the door. We marked it with that. But it is very possible to hit a wrong apartment. I would also – when I did a a, a warrant for the detective bureau, I used uh, ESU. Because you had to have a huge planning session with them, do a tack plan. They wanted a diagram of the apartment, where where are the bad guys, where are the dogs, if they had pit bulls, how many guns do they have. So there would be a lot of, of um, planning before the warrant. That really does need to, to occur. Yeah, well, you know, we hit a warrant. I was in narcotics fairly new. And sometimes you just, you know, you might have an undercover who's a moron. I mean, no knock on undercovers. They do a dangerous job. Every now and then you get a winner, and he's swearing up and down. I bought from apartment 1A. You go in there to boom the door, and everybody in the building's yelling at you. You're going, hey, officer, the drug dealers are in apartment 1B, and he'd been to this place before. And this guy's insisting he bought from 1A. We boom the door. That's a nice, clean apartment, you know, and like, and the people in the building are like, what are you guys doing? And the guy came in there, and he goes, oh, well, what do you know? It was the wrong door. Well, that's easy for you to say, you moron. But thankfully, nothing happened. The people in the building understood why they were, we were there. They, they had no issue with it. The super came up, replaced the door. Everybody was happy. But things do happen. But for the most part, these things are pretty well vetted out beforehand. The work is done. And that doesn't get relayed enough, you know, especially with the, some of this newspaper coverage. It's just absolute garbage. It's either facts of omission or just outright lies. It, it that, really is garbage reporting. That being said, to go back to Brianna Taylor and trying to clear up some of the information that's out there, you, know, you talk about the wrong door. You know, media coverage claimed it was the wrong door. People claimed it was the wrong door. Al Sharpton said the police were not in the wrong house at all. That's from Al Sharpton. Okay. Nervous neighbors heard the police announce themselves. And the boyfriend opened fire. Um, Taylor was deeply involved in a criminal enterprise, um, you know, with her boyfriend. Um, she there's this audio of tapes that she was, you know, handling money. Um, she was running part of a large operation selling crack fentanyl to the people of Louisville. The morning after Taylor was killed, her boyfriend um, and her are Jamarcus were on a call and this is what was said on a call. This is what you got to understand. Don't take it wrong. But Brie, meaning Brianna, has been handling all my money. She's been handling my money. She's been handling my blank money for me 
and Cuz, it ain't just me. Tell Cuz, Brie got down like 15 grand, eight grand. I gave her the other day and she picked up another six grand. So this is not a person that we're talking about that, you know, is an Ivy League graduate as everything's being portrayed. Um, she's not a person without stains, but yet we're discrediting the cops and, and making them the bad guy. Um, what people don't know is what all of you have been saying so far about what takes place with the planning of a warrant, the possibility of hitting the wrong door, everything that's involved. Um, you know, I don't really believe that the you know, police in Kentucky are getting a fair play out of this. No, they're not because exactly what you said is nobody knows about that. Nobody no. knows that Breonna Taylor is named in a search warrant. And no. for her to be named in a search warrant, they had to have probable cause that she was involved in narcotics tra transactions or, or receiving proceeds from the narcotics transactions. And, you know, they, the media claims she really hardly knew Jamarcus. Um, but, you know, somewhere along the line, you know, she picked up a car for him that had a body in a trunk. So, you know, she is involved throughout this whole process. And she, and she was receiving the packages for Absolutely. him. Absolutely. Yes. So there's so much more that's not right. being talked about. Uh, you know, yeah, the, you know, Sproul case in 03, you know, the poor woman took a heart attack and, and things did, did go bad. That could happen. But no, we but, know but, but, it, I, I, I hated the flash grenades. I, I, ju I just didn't think it was necessary. I th it's necessary if you have the intel that you know you have. If you got a real violent guy. Yeah, if yeah. you got a violent guy or in there. Or if you have pitbull terrorists. Right. A, a flashbang will turn a pitbull into a poodle. You know? <laughs> Every cop I, know, I, 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 I'll tell you the truth. The, the search warrants I hit, you know what I did? I went to the door with flowers. And I said I was delivering flowers. I had... I had a, a uniform for everything in the precinct, UPS uniform, uh, a florist uniform, a, a U.S. mail uniform, just to knock on the door and say, yeah. And then, yeah, by the way, on the police, you got, we got a search warrant. But you, you got to use your brain. And, and, that's, and that's, I'm telling you why the precinct cops are just so successful at doing it right now, because they intimately know the community. And they know... You see what Pete, you were talking about the wrong doors. They know the right doors because they're doing verticals in those buildings. They know which door is the bad door. And, and they go into these community meetings and meet with these people. And that's who we have to interview. We have to, you'll never get them because they're going to come to you covertly, obviously, because they're, they're scared for their life. If they're giving up drug dealers in their building, they fear for their lives. So, that, so they would come to us after the meetings in privately and they would tell us we need help we got a drug dealer in our building and we would go to them in plain clothes meet with them they would point out the building they would take us into their house and we would watch the dealing take place that they had to live with every day that they had to walk with their families by every day the junkies and the prostitutes and the thieves that were buying drugs in their building they they were on the siege those are the people that uh they don't want to suffer. No, those, those are the people that are suffer. Really, right. it's hard, Pete. It's hard, Bill. It's hard to do a search warrant. There's a lot of work yep. to do in a search warrant. There's a lot of liabilities when you do a search warrant. It creates a tremendous amount of work. Believe me, it's that, easy, no, it's easy also, to do nothing on this job. Right, but, but, but you got, got idiots that 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 want to play politics with. With poor people's, the silent people, the the people that are forced to live in 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 NYCHA buildings, that are that are forced to live with drug dealers in in a city, and they, they don't have a voice, and and we got to be yeah, their it, voice. We can't, we can't just allow this guy, James Sanders, who wrote an editorial in the in the Daily News. He he wants to get rid of search warrants. He's you know where he's from, Southeast Queens. You, you know where they executed Eddie Byrne in the yeah. 103 precinct in Southeast Queens, yeah. Yeah. right? The the, the know, most violent drug dealers in the world. So he he's got to go out there and face his community, and tell them, no, 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 we don't want the cops to do search warrants anymore. Pat, put his photo he, back up so people see who he is. You know, and people move it. There you go. People should see who he is because this is part of the problem. This, this guy here doesn't tell the truth. 
And, and we need to get him on. Invite, invite him on, and, and we'll discuss it. Well, I, I, I don't want, I don't want to fight with anybody, but, but you're putting your constituents in danger. And go out there and meet with your constituents. They're not going to tell you in a public forum, but if they get you alone in a the corner, they're going to say, "No, no, no. We want the cops to get rid of these drug deals. We want them to go into their buildings and knock down their doors." See, here's a secondary issue, though. That guy, like you just flashed there. These people are poverty pimps, all right? They're stirring the pot for political gain. They do not care about their constituents. Yeah, but any one of these politicians, if any one of these politicians, either in the city council or Albany, cared about their constituents, we wouldn't be having this explosion in crime that we're having right now. And something to think about with search warrants right now, under the present conditions with the city council, with between the end of qualified immunity, the diaphragm uh, compression, you would have to be out of your mind to go and boom a door where someone and they're doing it, a and they're doing it shot, every day. But there's a pretty good shot there could be violence. Yeah. Yet, you know, what are we doing here? Hey, let me tell you a, a true story. Right after the Sproul case. We were doing a debriefing of a prisoner in the 3-3, and he told us he was just in an apartment where there was five or six guns. There was a MAC-10. There was all 9mm 45. So we found him credible, and I actually had to – I called the chief, and at the chief at the time wanted no part of it because it was like two weeks after the Spruill case. He says, oh, let's sit on it for over the weekend. Yeah, until the guns yeah. disappear. Okay. Yeah, they right. wind up doing it like Monday or Tuesday after we'd gotten the information like on a Thursday or Friday. As they're going to the apartment, the guns come flying out the window. But they were afraid to do that warrant. And that's what's going to happen now. It's already happened. I'm actually shocked the Commissioner Shea finally came out on the oh, side. That, that was a great uh, – I got that right here. He came out and he uh, he defended the cops and he says he'll he'll uh they did textbook police work. There was drug activity in every one of those cases. And and the reporter, Rocco Pariscondola, that did that from the Daily News. I know him 30 years. 30 years. I call him every 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 article that he writes, like that killing the search warrants. Right. I call him and I say, Rocco, you live in Brooklyn. I said, what's wrong with you? I go, you're, you're going to get it that they're going to stop us from doing these search warrants. And we're going to go back to the uh, to the 80s and early 90s. And I said, that's the last thing we need to do, especially as residents of the city. It's insanity. What was your name? Excuse me. He goes, Pat, he goes, there needs to be accountability when cops make mistakes. I said, I what know. What about when reporters don't print the truth? What should we do about that? What do we do? We we have we have to we have to counter it. We could do it because we're retired and and we, we have a platform now that we can do it and counteract that. But but what he wrote wasn't false. He wrote, "You're not always going to come up with kilos of cocaine when you hit a search warrant. It's not it's not an exact science." But but, no, but Rocco but Rocco I never misses a chance to dump on the cops. I, I know, but, but Rocco, I, I'm just telling you, he did the he did the first article. He used to work for the, the for the New York Post, and he did an article on search warrants that I leaked to him because when we were doing search warrants in the seven two, and nobody knew about it because we were C pop, and they they really wanted C pop to work, so we started doing it. And they stopped us. Chief Markman heard that we were doing it. He called us up to the uh, up to the borough, and he uh, he says, "That's it. You can't do you can't do search warrants anymore because that's a narcotics. That's a narcotics thing. And and you gotta you have your lane. Stay in your lane. Let them do the narcotics work. And I and I and I leaked uh, an article to the post. He. He went after me after that. He found he knew that I leaked the article to the post, but Rocco did that. So Rocco's a good guy. He's just Rocco is a good guy. He's he's following he's following the, the Daily News mantra that 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 cops have to be held accountable. Pat, and, that's not an excuse, you know. Uh, it, it's not it's an excuse. Right. There's a point of when do people do what's right? You know, I, I hear this from a lot of chiefs. They go. They give the orders to cops. 
you know, I, I really got to laugh. I almost want to smack most of them because, you know, yesterday we buried a, a highway cop who was killed, you know, doing his job. And I listen now, everybody comes and they give speeches and, and they, they all show this, you know, incredible sympathy and remorse for what occurred. But yet they treat cops every day of the week miserably, every day, and with no regard, knowing that what they're given as orders is the wrong thing to do. They know it. But we all we all know what's right, right? With the four of us, I mean, I work with Pete in the car, but we, we all know what the right thing is to do. And we all know when there's a bad order. But they give the bad orders and bad policies, and then they say, well, that, that's what they want me to do. Well, you know, Hitler wanted people to be murdered, and a lot of people follow that. And and that was the wrong thing to do, too. So where do we draw the line? Like, you could be a good guy. And, you know, I I, I got to go back to, like, you know, Chief Monaghan. Like, you know, he's following policy. The guy was the biggest mess as a cop, locking everybody up, you know, sued multiple times. And then all of a sudden he found God, you know, in Mayor de Blasio, and he got away with everything. And he put more cops in harm's way by bad policy. So when do we hold these cops account, hold these chiefs accountable? It, it, it's got to be done, but they get away with it, and it's just not right. Well, Ed, could you imagine living in a housing project now and cops not being allowed to do verticals? I heard a story today. I heard a story today. It was in Manhattan in the 13th precinct. Someone almost got robbed, and they, there was a patrol car about a block away, they went to the officer, told him what happened, and he says, there's really nothing I can do because I'm going to have to do a stop and do a 250. Um, that's what he told this, this person, a non-cop. So when this person called me to tell me, he said, what's a 250? So, and I don't blame the cop because it sounded like the person who was doing a robbery was somewhat mentally ill. And you know that the brass on his job is gonna throw them you know, right in front of the bus. But this is what it's come down to. So the poor people in the projects who want us there, okay, Peter Zimroth, credible guy, and I've said this multiple times, 85% of the minorities in the poorer communities want the cops there. 100%. They're the ones suffering. I'm watching the shootings coming over the phone. That We have multiple shootings going on in Brooklyn and the Bronx right now. And who's there to protect the people? So these are policies, and I'm kind of tired of hearing that, you know, uh, this is what they want us to do. You know, grow a pair of balls and do what's right because they don't do what's right. We haven't had a good police commissioner since Ray Kelly. We haven't. Every police commissioner we get gets interviewed on his knees. And that's what's taking place here. And the cops are suffering. It's just not right. Now you made me feel better. Thank you. Well, you know, Ed, the other thing is, is it doesn't help us when, uh, and in this case, the New York Times just printed false information. First, they called the the warrant, a botched warrant, it was botched because they announced themselves and they actually, and then kicked the door in and they were shot at, that makes it botched. How is that, how has that become botched? Well, this is what they label, you know, yesterday Daily News put a whole thing about discipline, you know, in, in a police department and the numbers are so skewed. You know, where did disciplines occur in the encounters? They left so much information out. You know, the media is got it. They have an agenda and they're really destroying the truth. And who did they're not destroying you and me or, or the cops? No, they're, they're, they're destroying they're the, whole the community. people in the streets. That's what they're killing. They're killing the public. And they, you, you want to defund the police? Take away all the money because we're still getting paid. We're still going to go on patrol. But what's going to happen is the public is going to get a slower response, they're going to get less service. That's who you're hurting. That no one, no one's talking about this, but it's, it's got to stop. And now we're into the warrants. We're putting everybody in danger by taking away no-knock warrants. Cops will be in danger. Cops have gotten killed doing warrants. We forget about that. And the Breonna Taylor case is, is where this all stems from. But we forgot that Jamarcus fired a shot. He fired a shot at the cops, and we returned fire. What are we supposed to do? Buy him lunch when this happens? Like no one wants to talk about this. But he also wasn't charged. Ed. They dropped charges against him. Well, so there's another area where you got district attorneys, you know, and we got a bunch of them here in New York that are refusing to prosecute the law. They pick and choose. It's now a matter of opinion as to what they want to charge. 
And we just saw a judge release somebody on bail and right back out and committed more crimes. Like, this is it. It's it's a feel good that eh, I'm kind of feeling like I'm not going to lock this guy up today. Well, like, they they all jumped over that the bias crime in the Bronx where that guy had vandalized like four or five temples. Yes, and, one. and that that's a bad crime because the judge hung his hands like oh, I have to release this guy. There's no provision in the law that allows me to remand him. And that's a bad crime, but there's worse crimes that they're letting guys go for. Well, maybe we should take away the qualified immunity for the district attorney. See, when you release somebody and they go out and do a rape and you release them, the judge release them, why should they be allowed to be not held accountable for their decision that made somebody else a victim? No, that makes no sense. But that's that what that 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 came down from Albany. All of these edicts came from Albany. Do these criminal justice reforms, or you're not going to get the money for your for your police department. And, I mean, they're all. Listen, you got to really what this comes down to with the state assembly people, the ones that voted for this stuff. You have to out them and identify them. Um, there's this numb nuts in Brooklyn. This guy Andrew Gennardis. I give it to him on a regular basis. He's a guy that comes out, but when all of a sudden people are getting shot left and right, man, he's got nothing to say. But bad enough that these guys pushed all this stuff, they won't accept responsibility for what they pushed. You know, now that we have this explosion, people dying left and right, they will not. It's like it didn't happen. Uh, that wasn't. Uh, no, no, it was you. That's the reason why people are carrying guns. It's why people are getting shot. It's it's absolute insanity. And I, we're at the point now where I, I really think the only thing we do is just get in their face and ridicule them and tell them right out. You know what? You're a moron if you actually think this is legitimate, all right, because you want to pander to. And it's a small segment of society that they pander to. It's the loudest ones. Who's getting killed? Several, several city council members agree with you. I've had conversations with them. Several agree with what you're saying, but none of them will come public to say it. And that's, no. a, that's the problem. And no, sooner fact, uh, I, just, I just recently asked one of them if he wanted to get on air with you when the uh, – I haven't heard a peep from him since, uh, um, you know, and, uh, and my pal Brad Landa, who's running for city controller, this guy has 118 parking tickets in the last four years and eight speeders, red lights. I'm like, are you kidding me? My question was, hey, pal, you know, you're this guy that's preaching all this crap and making people suffer. Who paid for those parking tickets? Did you pay for them? Did your campaign pay for them? Well, let's take it one step further. Did you use a summons plea form or a summons voidance form on a car that had he has an official placard? You know what? We have to take these guys to the woodsheds and crawl them. Well, Expose we're them. hoping to do that on shows like this. We're hoping to get other, you know, people out there talking and exposing what goes on. We're trying to do it, you know, throughout the country with other departments. You know, people need to be held, you know, accountable because they're blaming the cop as we're sitting here. There are thousands of cops working across the country making split-second decisions, and some are good ones, and some will be bad ones. But hopefully they all go home tonight. It hasn't been happening lately. Cops have been getting shot. Some are not going home at night. But we don't talk about that. You know, all the encounters that are occurring right now between the police and the public, the millions of encounters that work out well, we pick the one, and we we dress it up to make the cop the bad guy. And you know, that's not to say, and I'm not saying that there are no bad cops. There are. And I know we all agree that we don't want to work with bad cops. And we probably somewhere along the line did and got rid of them. But at the end of the day, 99.9% of the cops are out there tonight across the country are good people. And they're being victimized by the media for telling lies. And that's a problem. Yeah. You know, I... I what is a patrol officer to do? I mean, I, you can't engage with these people, especially with the media. You're going to get screwed every time. You know, just be professional. Do your job. Do the best you can. Make sure you go home because it, it, we're really, especially in New York City right now, um, we're in some dangerous times. And the people need us. Don't get me wrong. The vast majority of people need us and they want us. Yet, what do we got to listen to? We got to listen to a constant barrage of garbage on TV and Facebook, Twitter, all the social media about how useless cops are, how we need to defund the police. You know, what, what point are they going to come up with the next suggestion, which will be, let's take the guns away from the cops. They don't need them. 
well, if we're going to go this extreme, why even have a police force? If we're not going to be locking people up, if the DA is not going to put them in jail, what are we doing here? 267% increase in shootings over last year. But nobody's saying, well, no, it, 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 it's, time that, it's time that the people have to wake up and, and they got to come out and show their support for the police. And, and I, I just don't want to, I, I don't want this because we get a lot of cops that watch the show and I don't want them to be depressed and to go out there and become that I'm not, I'm not going to do anything anymore. F everybody. Let's uh, let's become. Well, you shouldn't be depressed, Pat. You're right, and because uh, and, and, and that's the last thing that I, I want cops to get out of this uh, conversation. But they need to do is, and, and you know, for any cop listener, we're going to win this, right? Because yeah, no, it's going to be it's going to be a turnaround. But 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 if we allow them to take away, but only because I personally fought to allow cops to do search warrants on patrol, and 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 I'm not going to just. Let them take that away from us. I, I, I literally trained every single, every single, uh, every single precinct in the city during the nineties after after Branton took over, that he decided to turn stuff around. He said he he literally heard about what we were doing. I met with Jack Maple, and Jack Maple said, "Pat, we, we, I want you to go out there, do what you're doing, put a template together." And I want you to go to every single precinct in the city and teach them how to do problem-solving precision police work. And, and I did it. I, I went. I'm telling you, I went to hell. I ended up in internal affairs during the NAP commission. Don't worry about it. Been there last year. <laughs> during the Mullen commission, I put in when I got promoted to sergeant to go back to to narcotics, and I uh, and I think he volunteered. <laughs> well, I, I went. I like the cheese I, there. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you what happened because it's a funny story. I go to the, I go to internal affairs and I end up there. And I do thirteen months, and that's during the early nineties. Giuliani gets elected, and my lieutenant, who we were doing the search warrant together, Mike Shortell, may he rest in peace. He, he he passed away recently, and he goes and works for Maple and Adamone. Adamone is chief of department. And they, uh, he tells them about this search warrant thing we were doing in the 7-2. And people got nervous about it. And uh, they stopped us from doing it. And uh, he says, so Adam Owen says, so, so get him up here. We got to, we want to talk about it. He says, the problem is he's in internal affairs. And that's when, uh, I don't know, if Ed, you remember when Commissioner Mack took over yep. internal affairs. And yep. they... They wiped out the Internal Affairs Bureau. This is this is what the seven five precinct with Eddie Dowd and everything with not Eddie, um, Michael Dowd, yeah, Michael Dowd, which was a terrible situation. He thinks he's a rock star now. Yeah, yeah, and and, and I want to get back to that. Remind me of that later. But but they didn't want to. They couldn't pull me out of Internal Affairs because everybody signed a contract, a two year commitment to be in Internal Affairs. If you know anybody that got caught up. And that Marlin Commission that got drafted in internal affairs, I had to go to Commissioner Mack, and Commissioner Mack gave me a contract that I had to sign that I could never, ever, that I'm going to be on patrol the rest of my career until I satisfied my commitment to internal affairs. If I was going to go back and pilot this thing for the, for the, for Jack Maple, and then I signed a thing. He didn't think I would sign it. I signed it. I was in Jack Maple's office the next day with Mike Shortell, and we put together a pilot project in the seven two to do search warrants on patrol. And we we, because we knew how to do it. We knew the community. We knew the we knew the drug dealers by name. We knew who were running the spots, and we knew how to shut down drug spots. And we went and did it and. I trained every single precinct in the, in, the, in the entire city individually. I went to each precinct and handpicked sergeants. Tim, Tim Povak, I, I'll tell you, I never met the guy, but all I do is read about him every day. He's hitting search warrants on narcotics-prone uh, community complaint locations every single day. You could follow him on NYPD Valley. They're just doing a great job, and, and it's can you imagine for the people in the 7-1 community if they tell Lieutenant Bovac, 
that's it. Can't do search warrants anymore. He'll totally lose all credibility and the people that are going to suffer in the Flatbush community and the Crown Heights community. It's 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 going to be it's going to be beyond devastating to the community because at least now they have a little fear that we could come and and knock down their doors and 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 take their guns and their drugs away from them. But could you imagine how they'll be celebrating if that's taken away? If that tool is taken away from us, they're already. It would be it would be, it would be devastating. Listen, you give the city council enough time, and they will be implemented. No, I know, but, but we city. can't let we can't let them get away with. That's why this is so important that we got to rally the people, the people in the community, Guys, and, and they need to know. Someone's phone is feeding back. You want to make sure everyone's phone is off or down. Yeah, How's that? Let me ask you a question. You brought up Commissioner Barrett and Jack Mead. And, and that was really the turning point when they first came here. I, I call it Bratton Point One. Came here, implemented all kinds of policies. He, you know, the little crimes, the window washes, stop and frisk, all of those things that we eventually became targeted for. Bratton comes back, Bratton 2.0 comes back, changes everything. We don't need to continue to do this anymore. And you know, one incident down in Wall Street area takes marijuana off a girl, throws it in the sewer. Okay, changes the policy. It's okay to jump up ten spots. We let go of all the little things. So, my question to each one of you: Who is the real brand? Two or was it one when he first came in? Because as a result of him setting the stage for the policies that are now in place, Jimmy Boy O'Neill followed. Now Shay is following, and they're all part of the uh, three month kids. Um, we now have an eruption of crime, shootings, violence, sex crimes. It's all up. And Bratton was the tipping point to this when he came back with the Blasio. Pete, what are your thoughts? Uh, I liked them during Bratton 1.0. They did a tremendous job. I don't know what happened in Bratton 2.0. I, I really don't. And I don't know if he was, you know, he got another shot at the big job and he danced the tune that the Blasio was calling. Because at the end of the day, the Blasio is a Bolshevik leftist dirtbag. They are not pro-police people, okay? And did Bratton make accommodations with that? Um I don't know. I was very disappointed in him. Very disappointed. But that uh, raises um, the character question of, you know, he worked for Giuliani, and now he worked for de Blasio. So who is he really? Bill, what do you think? Look, I, I think he was a very talented guy, and he was, when he was surrounded by a cast of superstars, when he was surrounded by Jack Maple, Louis Anamone, uh, Timoney, um, some of the, I mean, I'm probably leaving some people out, but they were all it was a perfect storm back then. Not only did they have great, talented police, but they had a DA's office who was on board with the program. And he had the community that was on board with the program. The mayor was on board with the program, the city council. So it was the perfect storm because crime was so high and people had had it. And all the talented people were in the right place. But he, but he, he came back with this new mayor with the edict of, you know, it's almost like he's the same thing he said with the riots. Let's give this a soft touch. And I think that's what he gave him with this. And, you know, when those two officers, uh, Lou, uh, were executed, and Lou were executed, that was the horror. I mean, that is a horrible thing. And that's where I think, you know, the, the city started on its downfall. And that was, you know, I think many people said uh, de Blasio had blood on his hands. And I agree. He did. Because he, he caused that. His anti-police rhetoric indirectly, you know, was related to that, I think. Pat, what do you think? Yeah, I, I tell you the truth, I love the guy. I think I think he, along with, but remember who he was and who he worked for. He worked for Rudy Giuliani, who told him to go in there and solve crime, go in there and 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 save this city. And and he went out and he did it. And that perfect storm was created by 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 Commissioner Bratton because he. I, I don't know if you remember. He asked for everybody's resignation. All the top 
top uh, brass of the, uh, of the department at the time, and he told them to get out, really. He got rid of the whole top brass, and then he put his own people in there. He put Timoney and Esposito and, and, and just all real crime-fighting executives. And, and we, we literally turned the city around. But so let me, let me tell you, throw this at you, Pat. Like you signed a contract with Commissioner Mack yeah. to go out and do something that you believed in, correct? Yes, I did. And you were willing to sign that contract because you believed that that was the right thing to do. Well, Bratton comes back the second time and he changes his policy. So my question then is, who is he really? I, I know, but, but just 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 remember who the mayor is at the time. No, and no, no, you, no, no, hey, no. It's, Pat, it's not about who the mayor is. The question is, who is he? See, you knew who you were dealing with with Commissioner Mack, and you knew who Pat Russo was. You went and said, I'm going to sign this because this is who I am, and this is who I believe I am. But in Bratton's case, we, we said, well, he worked for Giuliani, so he was able to be who he wanted to be when he worked for you know, de Blasio, he had to be that way. No, who are you really? You know, to me, I always call him P.T. Barn. okay? And Bill said it best. <laughs> he had a great cast of characters. He did. Louis Adamone was a chief of department. He did. And, you know, when you look at, you know, what do you stand for? You know, he stood for fighting crime under Giuliani, and then he stood for whatever de Blasio wanted him to stand for. So, are you a principled person? That's my question. And we may not know the answer. He's got to face that in the mirror. I do know that Ramos and Lou were assassinated as a result of rhetoric by de Blasio and under a police commissioner that let the city run amok. And that's how he's remembered right now. That's a police commissioner that got hit with red paint in Times Square. I've never seen any police commissioner. I've been around since Maguire get hit with anything. So who is he really? Well, under De Blasio, he was he was who he was who he could be, I believe, and I and I think I think he did the best job that he could underneath the circumstances, and, and I know what you're saying, Ed. Do you sell your soul for a job as to remain the police commissioner? But well, I'm glad he I'm I'm glad he took the job because I think I think we'd be in a lot worse shape right now because while he was here, at least crime. We kept crime under control, but now it's just it's just got. Well, why he was here was the tipping point. Like he wasn't here long, and crime began to turn. And we we got to give him the credit for opening the floodgates to saying certain crimes were okay because he did do that. Yeah, and he sent the message to the public that it's okay to jump the turnstiles. And we all know what happens in a subway. Most people don't want to ride the subway. Well, he, he was the transit. He knew yeah. that 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 that's the life. But then of if you knew that, stream through the city. But, but that, I, I, I guess, like you're saying, yeah. he he was listening to his boss, and uh, politicians yeah. were telling him we're okay with people jumping in giant styles. But that, yeah. but look, look at the result. We're going to be back in a situation with the next year or so with the perfect storm will be created again because of the amount of crime that palpable fear that we had in the 80s and 90s you didn't know if you were going to get mugged when you walked out of your house you didn't know if your car window was going to still be in the car you know that was everyday life back then i was in the subway yesterday and it sucks it's disgusting and the first time in a while that i took it but you know what you got to be on your toes but we don't have the political leadership that's coming up to bat here that's going to be able to, if you're pinning, if people are pinning their hopes on Eric Adams turning around all of a sudden being Mr. Crime Fighter and Law and Order, you you need your head examined. He's going to panda and he's going to go with his, you know, a lot of people don't remember. All of us that are in this these four screens here, we saw Eric Adams over the last 35 years and 40 years. We saw the circus that he created in the job to get where he is today. Not a good guy. And if you think him or any of these the, the city council, these leftist tool bags, they're not changing. So we're not we're not gonna have anybody at the helm of the ship to steer the ship. This storm is gonna get a lot worse before it gets better. We don't have the people that we had in 1994. We don't as in regards to politicians, 
You can forget the DA's office. They, they've just completely abdicated, you know, prosecuting we, crime. We lost, we lost so, the elected officials. We lost the, the department brass. Okay. We don't have the media. And we no longer have the residents of the city of New York that are coming out complaining. Right. Yeah. But Ed, we don't even have the tools, the legal tools that we need. True. To enforce the law. Everybody gets a disappearance ticket, gets cut loose from the station house now. You see people are going to, you know, to Raymond's. Uh, there was one little bastard of last month, five open gun collars. I'm like, this is insane. These people don't belong out in the street. They belong in jail. But decarceration is the catchword of the day. Let's sell Rikers Island to the real estate developers. Let everybody out. You know, and how bad does it have to get before responsible politicians step up to the plate? Right now, I don't see too many. There's a few that are trying to do the right thing. But these people, as much as we said, like, like uh, Pat was saying before, it's great that guys are out there doing these warrants. But I'll tell you what, if one of those warrants goes wrong, they're going to feed these cops to the sharks. They're doing it now, right? destroy them. They're feeding cops to the sharks now on minor stuff. On minor stuff. I mean, we got Commissioner Resnick who's modifying and suspending everyone. I mean, at what point does this guy go out and watch the grass grow? I mean, it, this is all self-preservation to, to maintain his own job. You got a commissioner right now that's, you know, was chief of detectives, was the poindexter of, of Comstat, and he's the first commissioner in 25 years to let the city fall apart. I mean, this is where we're going with this. Um, we have a handful of chiefs, I could probably name five, that are actually, you know, trying to do what's right out there. So we're really buried, and we don't have the public support because they're quiet. The public, I mean, Bill, you agree? Is the public silent? Yeah, you know something? I, I always point back to the electorate of New York City that voted de Blasio in twice. Scary. You know, very scary. I mean, who are they going to vote in next? I have no confidence that they're going to put the right yeah, person in office. Bill, next. Bill, look at the numbers, though, that got him into office. This is the smallest turnout ever. He hypercharged a small base of people, uh, basically on bashing cops. They were the ones that came out and voted. Voter apathy, I don't know what it is. People have been lulled by They had 20 good years of solid, safe streets. Most That's of these knuckleheads walking of our own success. Most of the knuckleheads walking around Manhattan today looking at their phones, all right, they weren't here 20 years ago. They're 20-something, 30-something. They have no idea what a savage armpit this place was back in the 80s and 90s. You know, they're going to learn. They're going to learn very – they're learning now, and they're going to probably learn a lot harder by the end of this summer. People – I'm sorry, Pete, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. When I tell people how we rode around with baseball bats on patrol, how we would encounter wolf packs of kids, 10 to 15 kids, that would rip the clothes off of people in the streets, stealing their wallets – following them to the check cashing places and just brutally attacking them from every which way, that that was an everyday occurrence in the city of New York. The shootings, the guns, the drugs, crack was the, you know, facilitator. Um, you know, the, the kids, you want to talk about profiling, uh, we were profiling white kids with Jersey plates coming across the George Washington Bridge to drive in and buy drugs. So, you know, when you talk about profiling, yeah, it happened. It happened. I mean, it, it's all true that they were here to buy the drugs and a lot of them would get arrested and they contributed to what was occurring up in the three, four all the time. So um, the city is headed in that direction. I kind of think it's there, to be honest with you. I do think it's there and I just don't see the support coming anytime soon. Well, you know, Ed, it's like when you talk about trying to fight someone with both of your arms tied behind your back. That's what the police have today. They took away a lot of stop, question, and frisk. Jumping the turnstile is legal. Uh, no verticals in housing projects. Putting out the discipline records to the public of police officers. Every time the hits keep happening, you know? And I, look, I, I feel for the cops today. And I, I hope that they continue to do their job. But I'm, I'd be afraid to do the job under these conditions right now. I really would. I can tell you, Bill, I, you I was at the funeral. Billy, you couldn't do the job under these conditions today. And you know what? That's why I'm retired. You know, it, it's. You know, you gotta remember, 
We're twentieth century cops in the twenty first century. Okay, it's changed. We're done. Pete, yes, I gotta see if you remember this one. It's a twentieth century warrant. We were looking at a homicide, Staten Island. Uh, we're talking about search. I remember warrant. quite well. Okay, so let's go with the story then. You know, we go, we're looking for a guy in a homicide. We got on the vest, the guns. We approach the door. Pete pounds on the door. We hear, who is it? No one opens the door. Pete pounds harder and he starts yelling, who is it? And um, he keeps yelling, police. And we keep hearing, who is it? I crawl underneath the window. I shine a flashlight in. He pounds on the door and it's a parrot going, who is it? <laughs> who is it? We died laughing. After that, we just laughed. It was so funny. You know? Yeah, we went from, <laughs> we went from zero. We went from zero to 60. Yeah. Back down to zero in a space of seconds, looking at this stupid ass bird. And uh, so you want to talk about planning something out? There, there we planned out looking for a guy on a homicide. And we have this whole thing planned. And we come up with a parrot. And <laughs> people would never believe. Thank God they didn't shoot the parrot. We have every, yeah, yeah, every animal agency chasing us today. You know? Who is story. it? <laughs> I wonder if the guy came home and he said the police were here. <laughs> yeah, I guarantee that bird gave us right up. Yes, right Definitely. But, but you know something, Pete? We can we'll never be able to get politicians to come on the show if you keep calling them tool bags. <laughs> no, you know, honestly, so tool bags. We, we want to get them to come on and it'd be treated respectfully. But yeah, absolutely be, treat them respectfully. They, they should be, and, and they need to be uh, given the opportunity to answer for what they're doing. You can't just throw it out there and you blame the police. You know, most of them, from what I'm hearing, never spoke to the cops about any of this legislation to see what they think. They just went with it because the old Black Lives Matter protests are out there and they're getting all these extreme protests and they believe that that is the voting block. That's what they believe. There's a lot of talk behind closed doors in City Hall. Yes, there where is. Yeah, a lot of public posturing. And then when they're in the back rooms and small groups, they're like, how are we going to get out of this? But you know what? You people willfully set this up. You walked right into it because the only thing that's on their mind is the next election. They could care less about anything. And this is where we're at now. They didn't grow a spine when they need. They didn't speak when they needed to. And they didn't counsel moderation. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Screw the cops. Qualified well, immunity. I'm going to tell you my thoughts on how they can get out of it. And, you know, if any of them are listening, but number one, they just need to, you know, make the change to the legislation and realize what they did is causing people their lives. Okay. If you're wrong, then you're wrong. But why allow more people to be shot? There's three shootings on a screen within seven minutes that, that I, I, I have here. So why allow people to be shot? You made a mistake. Eddie, the, the, guys, the guys on the city council are dominating the conversation, as they say. All right. right? They're not hearing it. They're not interested. They're not hearing it. They will accept no responsibility. They won't anyway. take responsibility. They're afraid of the backlash. You know, look. Like I said, I gave it to Landa point blank in the street one day. And he just... Uh, you know, he going on about all this bullshit, carrying on about climate change and this and kumbaya. And finally, I said, would you stop? I said, you just talk for 10 minutes without even breathing in. Stop. I says, everything you just said is bullshit, all right? I says, people are dying. Kids are getting killed in Crown Heights. Some old man's going to get shot in front of the Red Hook houses. You name the place. I says, nobody's getting shot in Park Slope, all right? The land of the ugly yuppie where you live, Okay. But well, but I, I no offense to Park Slope people, but you know what? What don't you understand? And this guy is—he says, "Well, the police department refuses to talk to us, and this and that." I says, "Oh, come on, stop!" I says, "There are plenty of people out there that would come and speak to you." I says, "I would do it." I says, "I know union bosses would do it." I definitely see with any one of them, but they don't want to deal with it. We'll sit down with you anytime, Brad. Anytime. And he looked at his watch and says, I have another engagement. I got to go. You know, they're not hearing it. They don't want to hear it. They engage in their agenda. The middle of the road people are scared to come out and say anything. 
So let me ask you this. Is Commissioner Shea did away with anti-crime, and I just learned yesterday that he had three choices of what he could do with anti-crime. He could put them out there in uniform, driving around in a mock car. He could put them out there and take away the unmarked car and just let them focus as anti-crime. And the other one was just do away with it altogether. He chose to do away with it altogether. Do you think that not having anti-crime out there has contributed significantly to the shootings and to the homicides in the city of New York? And should they go back? I'll, uh, you know, I, did six and a half, I did six and a half years in anti-crime. One year I was in street crime, precinct crime, and I was a boss in crime. Anti-crime is one of the most effective units on the police department. And the stealthiness, just being able to blend in with the uh, with the community and the unmarked cars, you can't make the type of arrest uh, that anti-crime makes. And, I, yeah, I think they got to go back to it. They have to go back to it. It really helps to protect the community. And the bad guys are, are afraid of anti-crime. No, you, you, you obviously need that element of surprise to have cops in unmarked cars and at a uniform. So it, it just it just made no sense. And, and I don't know how that that capitulates to the to the anti-cop people by putting cops back in uniform from plain clothes. Because so, because obviously they were effective at at preventing robberies and so do you, I'm, think, I'm play, do you think Shay made this decision out of fear of having a plain clothes incident? while on his watch. You'd think that he sacrificed all of these bodies that we're now watching grow in the city of New York and the violence just so he didn't have to answer for uh, an incident, maybe involving a plainclothes officer in a shooting? I, I think he needed something. He needed a bone to throw to, to, to the to the crowd, to, but he's to a the guy mob, who's a to the mob. And, 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 you know, he's been around to know where the trends are for crime. And you take away one of the most effective tools for anti-crime. Well, well you, have, you have a CCRB that's really, it's, it's just way too powerful. And the CCRB went to them and said that most of the complaints are being directed at the anti-crime officials. And he thought to appease them, I'm going to do away with anti-crime. But that, that. That doesn't help. So basically what you're saying is he weakened. Knowing something was the right thing to do, he weakened and, and didn't want to deal with the other end of it. He played the politics. So as a result, we have all of these bodies, all of these shootings that are occurring, the increase in rapes and, and sex crimes that may have a big impact as a result of not having anti-crime. But, but the, mo the most I'm effective gonna play cops are going to have the most CCRB right. complaints. You're good, Pete. Yeah, play the devil. I'm going to be devil's advocate here. He did those cops favor under the without a doubt. One of the most effective. I agree with you on that. Yeah, Joe Esposito told me that too. I had a conversation. Yeah, no, and I agree with you on that. But did kind, of did, kind of did the anti-crime. How about doing you know, cops favor when they're involved in something to stand behind them and say, "Yep, yeah, my anti-crime team was out there, and this is exactly what happened, and here's why it happened," rather than throw the cop in front of the bus where you support anti-crime, you support the cop, you tell the public what's going on, now you're really doing the cop a favor. Well, here's here's my thought on it. Is it, without right. a doubt, one of the most effective programs we had? I was in it for years. I was a boss in it. But in this climate, with what the city council has done to us and the fact that these guys are going out and engaging in people with potentially gunfight situations, trying to get guns off the street, and you're going to collar this guy, and he's going to get cut loose in arraignments, or he's going to get a DAT at the station house. What For what? You're going to go out and get into a gunfight with some douchebag, you know, who's a moron, going to get, get into it with the cops. And when the bad things do happen, the city council will hang you, the mayor will throw you under the bus, and forget what the media is going to do to you. So you know what? In a way, he saved these he, – in some respects, you know what? Until they change the rules, you know what? He's doing them – favor it's so, a harsh reality it's getting people killed no make no mistake about yeah, it again, again who, who pays every month's carrying a gun out there okay who pays is the people in the black community because that's where the bodies are right now 100 percent to say it no one wants to say it but that's who's bad i was with bishop seabrook uh, a highly respected bishop in brooklyn 
the day the crime was done away with. And he said to me, you know, Ed, you know what's going to happen? My people are the ones who are going to suffer. And I looked at him and I was like, absolutely right. And that was over a year ago. And he's right. But nobody's addressing the situation. And that's a problem. Nobody's bringing that up. No leadership. Well, we're running out of time, so it's... It, this goes quick. We got to do this more often. We got a lot of good stories to tell. So, Bill, I'm going to give you the last word. Um, fire away. Yeah, I, ju I just think that, uh, you know, a lot of the rules have changed. Cops are hampered from doing their job. I think we got to hit back at the politicians. We got to hit back know. at the idiots that are running for mayor that are saying to fund the police. And we got to ask them, what is your idea? How are you going to stop the shootings? and the murders and the robberies if you defund the police. Obviously, they'll have no answers. So just get them off the ballot. The other people that don't won't come around, like the moderate, if they, I mean, they're so far left, but say the ones that are a little closer to the middle, we're going to ask, what are your plans? And the city council has to be exposed. They are horrendous. They are, this diaphragm law has to be reversed. It's the most ridiculous thing that any police agency has ever passed or any city has ever passed. And without that being changed, that's where we got to start the talks. The diaphragm law has to be reversed. And if the Blasio signs qualified immunity, it's over. It's over. It's over at that point. You'll be lucky anybody gets arrested. That's how serious this is going. So all of you watching, we want to thank you for watching to the point. We'll be back again next week. Pete, Bill, Pat, thank you. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Take care.